Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ, the living bread, which came down from heaven to us. Father, we are in need. We are sick with sin. We need your help. We need to be fed of the bread of life. And so we ask as we open your word that you would feed us, that you would fill us, that we would be satisfied. We pray for Alex that you would strengthen him, give him freedom to proclaim your word, that it would be accompanied with the Spirit's power and conviction and help our hearts to be good soil to receive the message you have for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, John, for such a a great um, preparation for today's reading, which is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, beginning at the 14th verse. Jesus is speaking. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Well, some texts are well known, aren't they? And they're loved or liked by many Christians, and this may be because they encourage us in our Christian faith, they go to the heart of the Christian gospel, and they express profound truths simply. And maybe one such text is the text that we've just heard from John. I'm referring, of course, to John 3.16. I'd like to re-quote it and... um, I'll just use the, another version for this, the King James translation. It brings out slightly different description of God's Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So this morning I'd like to revisit this text that for many may be a favourite text to encourage us, to strengthen us in our Christian faith and life because it goes to the heart of the good news the Lord Jesus wants his church to bring to the world, whether through missionaries such as Arthur and Tammy with sons Elliot and Callum in Tanzania or here in Victor Harbour 
or in Gore through a possible Trinity church plant sometime in the future. So let's look at it now for a few minutes. The broad context of John 3.16 is a private conversation, actually, one evening between a ruler of the Jews called Nicodemus and Jesus himself. The immediate context of John 3.16 is an incident in an Old Testament book, the book of Numbers, about which Jesus reminds Nicodemus. So we'll hear again, we'll hear, uh, again what Jesus told Nicodemus from this incident in the book of Numbers. And Jesus said this to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, what's this story uh, of Moses lifting up this snake or serpent in the wilderness? Let me just briefly recount the story as found in the book of Numbers. The Israelites, a huge number of them, are in the wilderness of Sinai. Why are they there? After all, they had been delivered from cruel slavery in Egypt by God himself through Moses. Well, the Israelites had sent spies into the promised land to check it out. So 12 men, one from each tribe, were sent into the promised land from a place called Kadesh Barnea. They came back. They came back with a cluster of huge grapes. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, gave a good report, encouraging them to trust in God and to go in and take the land. However, ten of them, ten of these spies gave a bad report. And they said, they are bigger than we are. They're stronger than we are. We can't take the land. And it was their voices of unbelief and um, persuasion that prevailed. So God said that the whole generation, 20 years old and upward, uh, would wander in the desert for 40 years. The spies had looked over the land for 40 days. And God said only Caleb and Joshua would get into the land. And so there they were in the wilderness for 40 years. But God had mercy on them. He was gracious to them. He fed them. He fed them with manna. It was a bread-like wafer. He did this each day. He gave them water from a rock. He kept them alive. But even so, they grumbled and they complained and they said to Moses, we're fed up with this food. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? I wish we were back there eating the things we liked. So God sent fiery, venomous snakes among them and many people were bitten and died. Then they woke up to this being God's judgment on their ingratitude and they went to Moses and they confessed their sin and they asked him to ask God to remove the snakes. Now, God didn't take away the snakes, 
But what he did do was to give them a way of escape from death. How did he do that? Well, he told Moses to make a bronze snake and to attach it to a big pole and go up to the nearest hill overlooking the camp and put it up on the top of the hill and then to tell the people, when you're bitten, if you go and look at that snake, the venom will not be fatal, it will lose its power to kill and you will be healed. This was an act of the love of God. And Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, refers to this and he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have everlasting life. And then John, in his inspired words, says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, having noticed um, its context and its link with Jesus' words to Nicodemus, now let's look at the verse itself. We'll unpack it. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, God here is the God of the Bible the God who is the creator of this universe, who made man and woman in his image, male and female. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only God there is. And here the word God specifically refers to God the Father, for the verse goes on to say he gave his son. And this God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten or one and only son. Now apparently in the Greek language uh, there were a number of words in the Bible for our word love. There was the word eros which was the love of attraction between a man and a woman. That's not the word for God's love here in John 3.16. There was a word philia, the love of affection between brothers and sisters. That's not the word used in our text either. Then there was another word, agape, the love of caring action. And if you really care for someone, you pay attention to his or her need and you do something about it. And that's the word used here in John 3.16. God saw mankind's need, a desperate need in fact, as our brother John pointed out to us. If you've been bitten by a snake, you, don't, uh, you really need to get the right antidote. You don't just go for Panadol. Well, God saw man's desperate need. We often don't see it as desperate as it really is, but God does. And he acted and he did something about it. And that was a very loving action of God. Well, we've seen how Jesus reminded Nicodemus of that long ago in their history, the history of the Israelites, that God had acted in love to provide a way of escape for Israelites who had been bitten by that snake. 
And John says here, in just the same way, even so, God the Father acted in love on another occasion, and this time for the whole world, by giving his only begotten Son. The word world here is both a big word and a bad word. It's a big word because it refers to the entire human race. It's a bad word because it means the sinful human race or maybe putting it another way, God's family of rebellious kids. And so God acted in love. He gave his only begotten son. Our love is demonstrated in what we do and often what we give of ourselves. And God gave. It's in the tense, meaning once. He once gave his son. On one occasion, he delivered up his son for our offences. That was a very loving thing God did for us. God gave his only begotten son, or one and only son. If you like, this son is the only one who shares the very DNA of God the Father. We could say he's God's only natural son. And only begotten does not mean he had a beginning, but he's the only one who shares the very nature of the Father. He is the eternal Son of God, fully divine. But for what purpose did God give his only begotten Son? This is the purpose mentioned here. That whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. That's very inclusive. Inclusive enough to mean everyone who believes in him. All who believe in him. There's a real breadth intended here. That whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, clings to him, relies on him, entrusts themselves to him, no longer depending on ourselves, but our trust is in him and what he did on that cross. Should not perish. Well, sometimes things do perish, don't they? Uh, you might have had a perished tyre on your car wheel or before we had the electric blankets, maybe a hot water bottle eventually perished and perished things, well, they get thrown out or taken to the dump, don't they? Or maybe you, you've been out um, in your four-wheel drive in the Flinders Ranges, say, and, or somewhere out back and you see the ruins of a house or a homestead. It's lovely to look at those old buildings, but you wouldn't live in them anymore. They still exist. 
You couldn't live in it because it's a ruined condition. God doesn't desire people to perish or to come to ruin or be useless to him. That's why he gave his only begotten son so that believing in him we should not perish but have eternal life. So God provided a way of escape from the deadly result of sin. And we now know what God's way is. He provided a way out of his love, out of his mercy and grace, and that way is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. This bronze snake lifted up brought health and cure within the reach of all who are bitten by snakes. In like manner, Christ crucified brought eternal life within reach of sin-bitten, dying mankind. Christ has once for all been lifted up on that cross and all who will look to him by faith may be saved. And so whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so faith in the Lord Jesus is the key to salvation. And later in John we hear Jesus say the following words. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know the Father and his Son. And to know in the Bible refers to having a close personal relationship with, like a husband and wife can have. And this is quality of life. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly and this fellowship with the Father and with his Son is true quality of life and it's everlasting, so it's quantity as well. And John in his first letter also writes... God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He, she who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now we notice from this that eternal life is in the Son of God. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. So if you have the Son you have eternal life. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's in the Son that we receive this gift of eternal life. Now today's reading doesn't end in verse 16 but it goes on to verse 18 so let me therefore reread the last two verses. 
For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so there's no unwillingness of God on his part to save any sinner, no matter how great his or her sins are. There's no unwillingness on God's part. But the, the main object of God sending his son into this world was not to judge us. Don't think of God as primarily the one who wants to judge. No, primarily he wants to save. Not to condemn, but to save to seek and to save the lost. He who believes in him is not condemned. If you're not condemned, you're free. You don't have to justify yourself anymore. You are free to be the person God created you to be, to be in loving fellowship with him and loving fellowship with everyone from your side. He who believes in him is not condemned. In other words, you are pardoned. Wow, that's a great freedom. You are acquitted. You are cleared from guilt. You're not counted a sinner any longer. You are reckoned righteous in God's holy sight, right standing in his sight. He who believes is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already see God has provided a, a glorious salvation at so great a cost by the death and the sin bearing of his only begotten son to refuse to believe in Jesus Christ is to be left in a state of condemnation before God, even while a person lives. Well, brothers and sisters, we have looked into a well-known and perhaps for many a favourite Bible text. I believe John wrote this to strengthen people who already believed for salvation to encourage them to go on believing and to go on having and enjoying eternal life, to hold on to the faith. This love of God was supremely displayed in the cross. Keep your eyes on the love of God, not on your love for him. I know my love can be frail and faltering, but his love for you and me is steadfast, faithful and persevering. Our confidence is not in our love for him, but in his love for us. Let me read a verse from Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, God has already given us the supreme and costliest gift of his own son and the implication is this, how can he fail to lavish 
every other gift upon us. In giving his son, he gave everything. And so the cross is the guarantee of the continuing, unfailing generosity of God. Friends, we've heard about the cross of Christ and therefore about the love, grace and mercy of Christ and his Father. The cross, the dying of Jesus on that cross for our sins was followed by his burial and resurrection. And this, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the heart, is the heart of the good news that God the Father and his Son wants the world to know. You and I who believe in the Son of God have the privilege of a part to play in this. How this works out in practice will vary for each of us here today. And indeed, personally, it may take different shapes at different times in our lives. But each of us can play a part young or old. So encourage one another. I need encouragement in this, and I, th I think you probably do too. Let's encourage in whatever way we can. And so, as we go, let people know. I don't know where the people are in your life, but you do. God may give you opportunities to share something of the gospel with them. As we go, let people know. We need the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and guidance in all that, but he will. We have his enabling personally and as a church. Let me pray. God our Father, in your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who was lifted up on the cross, you opened up for us the way to eternal life. Grant that we, believing in him, may share this good news as we go and joyfully serve you in newness of life and faithfully walk in your holy ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.